Good morning and welcome to Trace. How are we doing today? Yes, you guys are the few, the proud, the ones who plowed through the snow. All right, way to go. So I'm so glad that you guys are here with us, uh, either here in person or maybe you're watching this online. Uh, thanks for making this a priority today. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, our, our lead pastor, Aaron, is actually up at the Northgate location uh, this morning, getting to celebrate with them and being a part of what's going on out there. We want to be a, a church planting church, and it's a privilege to be able to be a part of that together. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do here before I get started is I wanted to just celebrate something uh, with you guys. Some of you all know this already, but uh, one of our main focuses uh, is uh, neighbors, nations, and next generations. We actually just came back from a trip uh, to, uh, to the nations. We have a strategic partnership uh, with the, uh, the nation of Guatemala, specifically a project down there called Project Genesis. And we, Our partnership is actually through this organization called Children's Hope Chest. And so we sent a team down there. This is our second trip. We've got a third trip coming up in July. We have another three trips that are going to be planned for the next year. And they just had an incredible time. This is our, our crew there uh, with the lead guy, Ricardo, and his wife and his family down at this particular care point. And he was talking to our team uh, the other day, and he said, guys, we've been doing this for six years now, but because of the partnership that we've had with your church, what we've been able to accomplish this year has far outweighed anything that we've been able to do in years past. And that's because of you guys. That's because of you all coming together. Absolutely, yeah collectively to support uh, these guys going down on this particular trip, or, or maybe you're sponsoring a kid. We still have about 17 kids that are left in this uh, care point that are uh, still left to be sponsored. They, we have probably an additional 50 kids that have been coming to this particular care point that we could sponsor if we had enough people. And so anyway, wanted to let you guys know about that. If you all had any additional questions about our nation's focus, feel free to grab myself or Elizabeth or stop by the nation's station out there. You can also check it out online. Uh, what I want to do is I, I want to take us back. Last week, Aaron kicked us off in this, uh, this series called Disciple. And, and last week, he did a great job of setting this thing up. It's a four-week series we're going to be building on each and every week. But last week, he made a distinction between a, a Christian and a disciple. And one of the things he shared, and this might have been interesting for some of us, uh, but, but the word Christian was only used three times in the New Testament. Uh, and when you look at the New Testament, the word Christian was actually a name that was given to uh, uh, like the disciples of Jesus. It wasn't something they referred to themselves as. And it wasn't the thing that actually Jesus referred to them as. He always used the word disciple or follower. And that's, that's kind of the context. And so last week, Aaron was kind of making this distinction between Christian and disciple. And there's this, there's this kind of rising theme among this. is like all disciples are Christians, but not necessarily all Christians are disciples of Jesus. And, and when we use this word in our culture today, uh, when you say the word Christian, it actually comes with a lot of assumptions and, and preconceived notions. And a lot of them, to be honest with you, are not necessarily good ones. That The word Christian needs additional clarity, whereas the word disciple actually gives definition and it gives direction. That the word disciple literally means to be a learner or a pupil or a follower or an apprentice. Right, And so, so here's the deal. What we're not asking you to do is we're not asking you to stop calling yourself a Christian. Right? That's not what we're saying. But this is what I would tell you, and this is what Aaron would say. Um, if, if somebody was to ask me what it is that I believe, I wouldn't use that description because I think that that automatically causes assumptions in other people's minds of what that means to them. I would actually say I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of his. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about a little bit of a layer deeper uh, in regards to what this thing, disciple, actually looks like and how it is supposed to play out. And so the title of the message today is this, The Cost of Disciples. The Cost of a Disciple. Now, guys, I want you all to hold on because I'm about to preach. Is that okay? Because uh, I, I, I'm about to preach. I don't do this very often. I don't even know why I brought a chair up here because I'm not going to sit down in it, all right? So um, here's the deal. Um, <laughs> 
Sometimes when I read the words of Jesus, I'm convicted. Uh, Other times I'm moved. Sometimes I I get fired up because there are things that I've either read for the first time or I've reread, and it's caused me to go, you know what? I don't think I've been taking that one quite as literally or quite as seriously as I need to. And as I was looking at the words of Jesus regarding this concept, the cost of disciple, this week, man, it just got me fired up. And so, so I'm going to preach, and, and here's what I want to do right from the very beginning. I, I want to I tell you what I'm not trying to do, all right, uh, because you all might come away with this. And so what I'm not trying to do is I'm not trying to discourage you as a follower of Jesus. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or feel guilty about where you happen to be in your relationship with Jesus, all right? What, what I see this as is uh, kind of a halftime conversation with a team that's getting their butts kicked, all right? That's what this is. So sometimes what happens is when we look at the scenario, we look at our situation, we go, you know what? We are actually not doing what Jesus asked us to do, and we need to get on the right page. And so we need a coach who's going to be willing to say straight to our face what we need to do in order to get in the game and make the biggest difference. So my hope, my hope is that at the end of this conversation today, you walk away from here having a better understanding of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus, to be able to understand exactly what his call is on our life, what the cost is in order to follow him, and that you walk away from here not discouraged but inspired, to be fired up as I am about this particular subject. And so today's one thing is this. Grace is completely free, but following Jesus will cost you. Grace is completely free, but following Jesus is going to cost you. Now, this whole grace being completely free, guys, this is something that the Bible makes abundantly clear. Matter of fact, if you look at the words of Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, he was an apostle of Christ, he's going around and sharing all these things. He talks to the church in Ephesus, and this particular passage means so much to me, but this is what he says. He says, guys, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. You see, God's grace and your salvation, it's a gift, it's, it's, it's a gift that none of us can, can earn. None of us deserve it. You, you can't be good enough for it. It's not about your performance. It's not about your behavior. It was given to you because God chose to love you first. He moved first. Now, this, this gift of grace, although it is completely free, it comes at an incredible cost. It is not cheap grace. And those of us who know the story know that there's a God who loves us enough that he was willing to pay our penalty on the cross for our sins. You see, His grace that is offered freely to us comes at a great cost to him. His very own son sacrificed on the cross on our behalf. And we get this. Most of us do at least. And hopefully, if you've never heard this message of a God that loves you enough that he would sacrifice his life so that you might be able to have eternity with him, man, we'd love to continue that conversation with you today. And maybe this is the message that you need to hear. But but here's the deal. (laughs) Here's the deal. With that being said, we must be abundantly clear that all those who choose to receive this grace that comes completely free to us as a result of Jesus need to understand that the cost that it requires of us to actually follow him. And it's more than just the cost that it took on God in order to offer to us. It's the cost that is actually required of us to follow him. Now, most of us have kind of heard some version of the information, uh, infomercial version of uh, becoming a follower of Christ or a, a disciple of Jesus, and it goes something like this. Now, give your life to Jesus, and you not only get your sins forgiven, but you also receive everlasting joy and your own personal mansion in the sky, offer only for a limited time. 
warning. Follow Jesus may make you a better person, but it also may cause other people to hate you in the process. It can lead to intense persecution and even suffering. Your earthly possessions are no longer your own, and that includes your life and your time. Gathering regularly with other people that love Jesus is highly encouraged, even if they're a bit weird. You may be exposed to not only one, but two Kentucky preachers each week and asked to join a group of people that you're not sure if you like, but you're expected to love. All offers are complete and final. All right? Yeah. Okay, now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's how this sometimes comes at us. We talk all about the love of God, and we talk all about the grace of God, and that is a wonderful thing. That is what our focus should be in. But sometimes, somehow, we, like, we push aside what it actually means to follow him. And we don't present this up front. Guys, you guys, you got to understand, as you watch the life of Jesus and you listen to his words, he doesn't do this. He is abundantly upfront and clear about what it costs us to follow him. Take a listen to these words by a guy named John Stott. He writes them uh, from this book called Basic Christianity. It has a profound influence in my life. I'm going to be using this particular passage kind of broken up all throughout the rest of this message today. This is what he says. He says, Jesus never concealed the fact that his religion included a demand as well as an offer. Indeed, the demand was as total as the offer was free. If he offered men his salvation, he demanded their submission. And he gave no encouragement whatever to thoughtless applicants for discipleship. You see, Jesus was abundantly clear with his call. And if you read his words, you'll see that he never uses like this bait and switch tactic in order for people to come after him. Uh, last week, Aaron pointed to this particular passage in Luke 9, 23, and, and we saw it. I'm going to read it up here real quick. It says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow me. Now, guys, this is, this is abundantly clear. People are coming to Jesus, and they're wanting to know, what does it look like in order to follow me? And Jesus says, hey, guys, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, this is the requirement. You got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily in order to to follow me. Like, that is what is required of me. Now, this statement obviously caught the attention of people because it was profound in their time, as it is in ours. But it's also caught their attention because it's not recorded only in the Gospel of Luke, but all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record this particular passage. They all have identified this. Now, guys, you all need to understand this. If Jesus says something, you probably should pay attention to it. But if it's recorded in multiple accounts, this is something you probably should put to memory. This would be something you should, like, should stake your lives on. And this serves as a reminder to us. Matter of fact, last week Aaron talked about this as well, but some of you all have missed it. We've got these crosses on their side over here over our communion stations that you'll get to go to here in a little bit. Uh, some people were asking, why are the crosses on the side? Are like, you guys some kind of satanic group? No, we're not, all right? So here's the deal. The reason why the cross is on the side is because when we take this verse seriously, we realize that our job is on a daily basis to take up our own crosses because of the cross that Jesus laid down on our behalf. And how do you carry a cross? You put it on its side and you get up underneath it. And that's a reminder to us every time, every time we understand the sacrifice of Jesus on our life. Now here's the deal. We know through scripture as well as what has actually been accomplished in history that God's desire is for all people to know him. All nations, all walks of life, every ethnicity, every color and type of person that ever has walked the earth. He desires all men to come to know him. But let's just be incredibly clear about this as well. Jesus was not in the business of simply drawing a crowd. He was not simply trying to get a lot of people to hear him. He wanted people that would heed him, that would listen to him, that would follow him, that would go to the grave on his behalf. 
And if you watch his ministry close, you'll see that when Jesus starts to accumulate a crowd of people, he actually starts to say even harsher things, harder things to them. This is amazing. Like, read your Bibles and see this. Almost every time you see a crowd come to him, it's like he turns around and he looks at him. He's like, all right, it's about time to say some hard things, you know? And, and so uh, let me give you just a for instance. In John chapter 6, he's got this crowd of people that are following him, that are listening to him, that would consider themselves disciples of him. And so Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Say, what? <laughs> okay. And then he goes on, on hearing it. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And, and Jesus is like, yeah. And, and, and from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I can imagine like his, his, the 12 disciples who have been with him, who have heard all these stories, they come up to him and are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like you're making people like run away from you. You didn't give them any context to what this means at all. What are you trying to do? Why are you seemingly and intentionally trying to push people away? I want you to think with me, uh, sports tryouts. How many of you guys have ever tried out for a, a sport in your life, all right? I'm not going to ask how many of you guys got cut from the team, all right? So um, here's the deal. I remember my first sport tryout. It was in sixth grade. Up until that point, I would had tryouts, but it was basically like a placement tryout. Like, no, you're like, you didn't get cut from a team. This was like make it or break it. You got cut from the team or you made the team. And, and I remember this was the very first year that sixth graders were actually allowed to try out for the, uh, for the middle school team that was only a seventh and eighth grader team. Now, I come from Kentucky, and basketball is life. And if you're a boy, you play basketball. And now sixth graders were allowed to go. And so every sixth grader was in the gym, right? trying to try out for this, for, this, uh, for this team, and they all want to be the first sixth grader to make the team. And so, like, all these guys are in there, and coaches just kind of looking at the situation. And I got to tell you, I don't, I don't remember even touching the ball for the first week of tryouts. Like, I, it, we, it was nothing to do with basketball for the first week of tryouts. All we did was run and condition and drills and stuff like that. Like, that's pretty much the only thing that we did, because up until this point, it had nothing to do with our skill set it had everything to do with our perseverance, with our commitment. What our coach was trying to do was he was trying to weed out those who were going to be able to stick around. We're going to stick it out. It had nothing to do with our competencies, how good we could even play the sport. It was a matter of who is going to be able to be devoted to this enough to be able to see what their competencies are at that point. And I got to tell you, most of the guys that were trying out alongside of me, they self-selected out. They didn't make the cut. They didn't even make it to them getting rejected from the cuts because they said, this is too hard. I can't do it. Because I think this is exactly what Jesus was doing here in John chapter 6. Jesus was weeding people out because many people were following him for the wrong reasons. Now, it's kind of interesting because, because when Jesus said, hey, guys, drink my blood or, like, you know, get out of here, and a bunch of people walked away, they actually did the honorable thing. It was not the wise thing, like they should have continued to follow Jesus, but they did the honorable thing because in that moment, what they realized was that Jesus was not giving them an option to be a half-hearted follower of his. They assessed the situation, they realized what Jesus was calling them to, and they said, we can't do it, and then they walked away. And Jesus was okay with that. Matter of fact, he turns to his disciples, the 12, a little bit later, and he says, I know this is hard, are you guys, you guys going to leave too? And they said, where else will we go? You, you, hold the, you hold the keys to life. Your words are life to us. They understood. And they were willing to make the commitment, but the other people were not. 
You see, Jesus was not about amassing a bunch of crowds who would follow him and listen to his words and praise him and, and, and like lift him up. What, they, what he was about was trying to find people who would be wholeheartedly devoted to him, fully committed to his call, because what he was asking them to do was not simply to walk around and observe him, but to help him save the world. And that couldn't be done with half-hearted followers, only fully committed disciples. You see, people who simply stuck around for the benefits were unwilling to sacrifice. And if you can't sacrifice, you can't rep Jesus. That's what Jesus was saying. You see, grace is completely free. Our salvation is offered to us through the work of Jesus, but following Jesus will cost you. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning by taking a more practical look at what Jesus requires of his disciples, the cost of discipleship. Jesus actually spends a good portion of teaching on this very topic in Luke chapter 14. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, turn them on. Uh, it's the Luke chapter 14, and we're going to spend our time there. Now, here's the deal. We're not going to have the time to go through the entire uh, chapter uh, that is, is mentioned here. It is an incredible chapter, a great chapter to read. Matter of fact, I would highly encourage you, those of you all that are in neighboring groups this week, make that the focus of your D1 study or, or even as a family, like incorporate this into your D1 study this week. Lots of great stuff that's going to come out of there. But what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to take a look at a couple of these things and break them up as to what Jesus was actually calling people to and the cost he was requiring of them in order to follow him. And so we'll start in verse 25. It says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Here we go again with the crowds, okay? Lots of people are starting to come after Jesus, and for good reason. He's doing incredible things. He is, he is doing these, performing these miracles. He's healing people that are sick. He's casting out demons. He's standing up to the Pharisees and the religious ways of that time. He's even feeding them from time to time. Like they're, they're not only like coming to hear him talk, they're actually traveling with him is what it says here in this passage. They're going from town to town, village to village, hill to hill. They're listening to him, observing him, and they're watching him. And I can imagine Jesus kind of looking around and saying, oh, I got another crowd, <laughs> right? Um, I wonder if they even know what they're signing up for. I, know, I wonder if they even know what they're in for. And so turning to them, he says this, If anyone comes after me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Oh, and by the way, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus is not simply saying, hey, this is what it takes to be my disciple. He's flat out saying, if you can't do this, you can't be my disciple. If you don't hate your father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, you can't follow me the way I'm asking you to follow me. And so practical application, I want all of us to get our phones out right now. And we're all going to send a text to our moms, and this is what we're going to say. Uh, I hate you in the name of Jesus. All right, go ahead and do that right now. I'm just joking. Don't do that, right? We, we wouldn't do that. Why not? Because we know that that's not what Jesus is actually saying right? He's obviously not not advocating for hating people. That would go against everything else that he's taught. That would go against the very work of his on the cross, that he died for us because he loves us, and he's asked us to love other people. He's not asking us to hate other people, but what he is doing is he's challenging our priorities. Simply put, Jesus says, I got to be first. You want to follow me? You want to be a disciple? I got to be above all, even your most precious and valued relationships. You see, honoring your father and mother was actually one of the big ten. 
It, it, was, it was one of the Ten Commandments. Like, this is a very important thing to this particular population that Jesus is talking to. Not only is he challenging this incredible relationship, what he's saying, in essence, is this. You guys know that you're supposed to honor your father and mother. What I'm telling you is that if you don't hate them, you can't follow me. What he's saying is even the most important of your commandments, as well as the most desired of your relationships, the precious relationships that you have, those come in seconds of following me. Guys, he's putting this up on a stand. He's saying even our dearest relationships and most honored commandments are second to him. Following Jesus means putting everything else in perspective. And if we're all being honest, and we should be in church, okay, if nowhere else, this is a hard thing for us. It's an ongoing, everyday struggle for each and every one of us because we're constantly putting other things, good things even, in front of or in place of or in a precedent to, to Jesus. Guys, loving our spouses or our significant others, like that's a good thing. Valuing our kids, that's a good thing. Hanging out with the guys and the gals, like our friends, like that's a good thing. But when a good thing actually takes the place of a God thing, it's a bad thing. And Jesus is saying, I'm the God thing that needs to be in the first place of your life regardless. And so if you have a relationship that actually is putting itself in the place of devotion to me, if you're not willing to sacrifice it for me, that's a priority issue. See, grace is completely free, but following Jesus will cost you. Now, I don't have time to actually go into what it actually looks like specifically for you to put other relationships in front of Jesus, but I would highly encourage you guys in those neighboring groups and in your conversations this week to actually flesh that out a little bit. What does it look like for me to actually put my kids before my Christ? What does it look like for me to actually put my wife before my, my father in heaven? What does it look like for me to put my friendships and, and dial, dial that in a little bit and figure out what do I have to do in order to get the priority right in that particular situation. All right, well, Jesus steps away from the imperative, this command that he gives, and, and he moves to the hypothetical, and, and to dig down another level deep on this whole disciple thing. And this is what he says. He gives, us, he gives us an illustration. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Why don't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? That would be smart, right? For if you lay the foundation and if you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. I want want you all to remember, recall, Jesus is speaking specifically to the concept of what it looks like to be a disciple when he shares this story. And so literally what he's saying is this. He's telling people that if, if you want to be my disciple, right, he's telling us that hearing the words... If you're wanting to start this thing, like don't start what you can't finish. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't start what you can't finish. And as, even as I hear those words, like I'm automatically taken back to my own father's sentiments in this regard. Growing up, I, I was allowed to kind of try anything, whether it be sports or arts or, or music or clubs. It, it didn't matter what it was. My, my parents would be willing to support me in that, but there were kind of two uh, unspoken but very definitive rules in our home if I was going to start something. And this was it. One, I, I needed to give my very best to it. And secondly, I had to start what I, I had to finish what I started. I, I couldn't go into it half-heartedly. If I started a, a, a season, I had to finish the season out. If I, if I made a commitment, I had to finish the commitment out. And that's what I think Jesus is saying here. He's saying, guys, don't, don't start what you can't finish. If you're wanting to be my disciple, you've got to be committed to this. And if I was to wrap it up into one word, if we were talking about priorities in the first one, this, this, this word is commitment. Jesus is asking disciples to be fully committed John Stott continues in his conversation in that book, Basic Christianity. He says, the Christian landscape 
is strewn with, uh, with the wreckage of derelict half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build but were unable to finish. For thousands of people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. The result is the great scandal of Christianity today, so-called nominal Christianity. And guys, I'm just here to tell you, nominal Christianity is no Christianity is all. In, in, in the words of Jesus as he's speaking this thing. In, in countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. The religion is a great soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. No wonder the cynics speak of hypocrites in the church and dismiss religion as escapism. Guys, this is, this is what Christianity has become for so many people. When the world looks at you as a Christian, this is the stuff that they see. It's a crutch, right? It's, it's, it's a convenience. You, you shapeshift based upon your conveniences and your comfort. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to as a disciple, See, we are all about following Jesus until things get hard, until they get difficult. We'll be his disciples as long as it doesn't interfere with our comfort or our conveniences or our dreams or our goals or our aspirations or our plans or our weekends. And if you ask me why so many people, particularly our youth, are walking away from the faith, it's because we've made being a Christian too easy when being a disciple is possibly one of the hardest things you'll ever do in this life. These are... This is the summation that I'm making out of reading the words of Jesus. He's not making it easy to follow him. To come to him, to receive the grace of Jesus, completely free. But to follow him, probably the most difficult thing you'll ever do in this life. I'm not sure if we're talking about that enough. And here's the deal. We do no one any good by concealing the cost of following Jesus up front. We need to do our part not only to evaluate the cost ourselves, like having that conversation with us right now and, and evaluating, are we truly committed to this call? Like, do we see this as being the top priority in our life? Are we willing to, to be able to give up the things that we need to give up? Like, we need to do that on our, on our own self-evaluation. But I, I think we also need to be careful not to perpetuate the notion that being a Christian can be without commitment because it can't. It can't. You see... I heard this one time, and it just stuck in my, in my brain, but uh, there, are, there are no Christians that are born. All Christians are converts. Like, it's, it's an impossibility because being a follower of Jesus is a decision that each and every one of us makes at some point in our life. You might be Christian by culture or maybe because your house is Christian, but that doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. It doesn't make you a disciple. Grace is completely free, but following Jesus, it's going to cost you. Jesus gives us another scenario. We'll keep this one brief. He says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Now, won't, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? Again, uh, we see Jesus encouraging people to evaluate their decision, to count the cost, to understand what is up against them, right? And then he goes on. He says, uh, if the king evaluates this, and if he's not able, he'll send out a delegation while the other is still a long way out, and, and he will ask for terms of peace. In this same way, those of you who do not give up everything 
cannot be my disciples. There we go again. He's laying down a line. Now, if I'm being completely honest with you, I got to tell you, this, this particular scenario baffles my theology a bit. And here's why. The application of this story is this, literally. If you don't think that you can cut it as my disciple, if you can't hold the priority, make the commitment, or offer the sacrifice, then don't even try Does anybody else get that from this text, or am I the only one? Like, that's, these are the words of Jesus, and he's saying hard things for us to be able to understand that following him is not an easy task. It's going to cost us everything. And we have to be willing to surrender that. <laughs> can, can I add a little bit of a wrinkle to this story? I, I heard Francis Chan talking about this specific thing the other day, and it gave me a little bit of ad, additional insight. Um, the, the king, in, in this particular scenario, he's not only like doing the math, he's measuring the men. He's not just saying, all right, can I take out 20,000 people with 10,000 people and then do the math? No, what he's doing is he's actually assessing the guys that he has in his army. And he's, he's saying, can I with these people, with these men, with these women, with these kids, can I take these guys, do they have the kind of heart? Do they have the kind of sacrifice? Do they have the kind of gumption? Do they have the kind of commitment and the priority that I could take them up against that 20,000 people and still win this battle? He's measuring the heart of the men. Are they going to be willing to leave it all on the field? And I think that's what Jesus is doing when he's communicating this. What he's saying to himself in this regard is, I don't want to go to war with a bunch of people that aren't willing to die. He's about to give his life as a sacrifice for mankind. And he needs some people, some disciples, who are able to make sure that that sacrifice is not without effect. See, Jesus doesn't need a bunch of people who admire his sacrifice, but people who will mimic his sacrifice in all aspects of their life. Guys, this is hard. It is not easy. I consider myself to be a disciple of Jesus first, but a pastor second. And I'm just telling you, as a pastor, I get this wrong more than I get it right. When I look at my level of commitment, when I look at my priorities, when I look at the things in my life in which I know that I need a sacrifice, but I still hold on to them, guys, I get this wrong all the stinking time. It is not easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but it's worth it. Matter of fact, Jesus thought so much so that he invested his time in a certain group of people. And then he gave his life up because he felt that they understood this concept so much so that they would be able then to take on and carry out his mission. And now he's left that in our hands. Are we the kind of people that Jesus can confidently hand off the mission to and for it still to be successful? For people to be able to look at our lives and to be able to mimic our sacrifice and commitment and priority and actually end up with Jesus in the, in the end result. I think it's a question each and every one of us need to ask. And I think it's the very reason why Luke, in his rendition of that Luke 9.23 verse, I think that's why he added the word daily. Whoever wants to be a disciple must deny themselves and come to me, pick up their cross daily, to sacrifice daily, die to yourself daily in order to follow Jesus. Because this can't be a one-time deal and done. It has to be an everyday acknowledgement. And as a disciple of Christ, we must wake up every morning and say, it's a good day to die. That's the kind of perspective that Jesus wants us to have. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, incredible man, incredible story if you read it. He says it this way. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Is this too hard for you guys this morning? Like, is this too difficult for you guys to hear? I, it is for me in some respects. Because I, I have to look at this and reflect and go, what do I do with this, Jesus? Like, I know that you don't technically want me to physically go and die but you want me to live my life as if every day, if it happened, it was just part of the plan. Guys, this is hard. And then Jesus concludes this section of teaching, and then we'll wrap this up with an illustration. And let me tell you, the implications are just as harsh in this illustration. He says this, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear and if you're anything like me, you come to the end of this and you're like, all right, God, I, I got the whole, like, you know, hate your father and mother thing. And I, and I get the illustrations about the, the buildings and, and about the, you know, king assessing stuff. But what does this have to do with following you? Like, what, is this, what does this have to do with being a disciple? I don't get it. So let's process through the illustration a little bit. Salt is good. We know this, right? It's good for preservation and it's good for, uh, for flavor. Like, th- those are good things. But if it loses those values, what is it good for? Nothing. If it loses its saltiness, it is no longer good for anything. You can't put it on your food. It won't do anything for you but give you cholesterol. You can't put it on the ground or else it'll kill the grass. You can't put it in your garden or it'll kill the plants. You can't even put it on manure pile because all the benefits and the qualities of manure that you could use, it would actually make it useless. (laughs) Application. Remember, this is Jesus' illustration, not mine. A Christian who is not actually following Jesus is not only useless, but harmful to everything else it touches. Some of you have come here today despite the fact that you run into Christians like that. Christians who have actually caused more harm to your faith and belief in Jesus Christ than benefit. Because they said with their mouth that they were a follower of Jesus, but they didn't demonstrate with their life. They didn't show it their priority. They didn't offer the commitment. They didn't make any kind of sacrifice. And they've given you an unrealistic and an, like just a false view of what it actually looks like to follow. Some of you guys that are in the room right now, you are this person. Your salt that has lost its saltiness. You don't offer preservation. You don't offer flavor to life. You're not really following Jesus with all of your life. You're simply saying that you're a Christian for the benefits. Jesus flat out says it's not worth anything. Throw it on the ground. It's useless. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like Jesus goes, guys, you all wanted to know what it looks like to follow me. Here it is. You still in? You still up for this? The message of Jesus was very different. He never lowered his standards or modified the conditions to make his call more readily acceptable. He asked his first disciples, and he has asked every disciple since, to give him their thoughtful and total commitment. Nothing less than this will do. 
if then you suffer from moral anemia, take my advice and steer clear of Christianity. If you want to live a life of easygoing self-indulgence, whatever you do, do not become a Christian. I bet you didn't think that you'd come to church this morning and hear your pastor say those words. This is what Jesus is echoing. I don't want a bunch of crowds of people who just like to hear my voice or like to see me perform miracles. I need people who are completely devoted to this thing because the world is at stake. Yes, what I did, it saves the world, but only for those who will receive it. And guess how they're going to receive it? Only if you bring it to them. And you're only going to bring it to them if you're sold out for this. I had a teacher in fourth grade. Her name was Miss Mann. That was confusing for a fourth grader. <clears throat> and I would go up to her, and, and uh, I, I still remember this clear as day. I would, I'd go up, and I'd say, can, can I go to the bathroom? And she'd look back at me with kind of a snarky response, and she'd say, I don't know, can you? And, uh, <laughs> and then she'd say, what you, what you should ask is, may I go to the bathroom? Now, what Miss Mann was trying to do was to teach me proper English, which is a lost cause for a Kentucky boy, all right? I share that with you for this reason because I think Jesus is trying to do something of the opposite. See, we come to Jesus with our best proper English. That's not even proper. And we say, Jesus, may I follow you? And he goes, yeah, that's what I died for. Yes, you may. Like anyone who wants to do this. I've died for every single person that you know, any person that you come in contact with, every face that you see is made in my image, and my blood is, is available to them. Yes, you may, but you're asking the wrong question. You should be asking, can I follow you? Okay, Jesus, can I follow you? I don't know. Can you? You see, the issue of being his disciple is not a matter of his willingness to accept. He's done that but our willingness to adhere. You see, his calling is not the thing that's in question. It's our commitment that's actually in question. It's not about him giving us his permission. It's about us offering our pursuit because following Jesus and being a disciple of him has everything to do with our pursuit. Not our, not our perfection, not our performance, but our pursuit. Are we staying in step with Jesus close enough to be able to see and hear and understand what he is doing? And are we willing to go with him there? That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we come to church. That's why we spend time with him in prayer. That's why we spend time with other believers. And so that we can have a clearer picture of who Jesus is to stay close enough to him to see what he's doing and to ask him, what should we do? And then be willing to do it when he tells us. Guys, grace is completely free, but following Jesus, it'll cost you. And so here's the, here's the thing that I'd like to uh, allow you guys to leave with, this challenge. And for each of you, it's going to be different because all of you are at a different place in your journey with Jesus, and I get that. But if you say that you're following Jesus, have an honest evaluation this week, either in your soul or maybe with some other people, and ask yourself this, what is it costing me? to follow Jesus right now? What is it costing me to follow Jesus right now? Because if it's not costing you anything, you might not be following him as much as you think you are. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm personally challenged and convicted by this. Uh, this is a, it's a heavy, 
heavy message, but I, I feel like I can't speak it any other way after reading your own words. And Lord, I do pray. I pray with all my heart that the conviction that might be felt right now would not lead to some kind of, of guilt, but rather a self-evaluation to say, I'm in. I am all in. Because I think that's what this city needs. I think that's what this nation needs. I think that's what this world needs. Is people who don't just show up to church on a Sunday and say, I got it, checked off the box. I'm in good standing with you. But one who would stand right alongside you and say, my life is yours. What do you want from me? God, I don't know what this means personally in each of our life and the application that we need to take. Some of us need to take a first step and say, Christ, I understand. I understand the call. I understand what you've asked me to. I understand the, the, the cost. And I'm in. Maybe for the first time. I've never made this commitment, but I'm in. Maybe that's what somebody needs to communicate to you today. For others, it's living an incongruous life, Father, and living in hypocrisy and living in, in a half-hearted state. Father, reveal to us through your spirit whatever it happens to be that keeps us from being fully committed to you. And let us dive in, delve in, be fully in on this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.